welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. On today's episode of Boss Ladies, please welcome Adette C. Contreras. Manila-born, Chicago-raised, and now Brooklyn-based, Adette is a graphic designer by trade and an entrepreneur by design. Her mission as an immigrant woman in the creative field is to propel the changing face of business challenge the conventional views of entrepreneurship and unveil a bit of magic she's discovered along the way. Nine years ago, Adette founded her first company, Tinsel Experiential Design. Tinsel creates immersive events ranging from branded activations to extravagant galas. Tinsel has scaled from a bootstrapped kitchen table operation to a multi-million dollar company, achieving a level that only 4% of businesses have reached. With Tinsel's immense growth, she found herself consulting for other business owners and her second company was born. In Wild Pursuit, now in its third year, is a creative and business consulting company focused on business strategy, branding and design, and business therapy for purpose-led entrepreneurs. Left unsupervised, she's known to disappear for extended periods into the closest pool hall, ceramic studio, or book. A lifelong learner, Adette has so far acquired five languages with varying degrees of ease, ranging from speaking fluently to restaurantly, Tagalog, English, Spanish, French, and Swedish in that order. Welcome today, Adette. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. So to get started, can you tell us about your career journey and the story that brought you where you are now? Sure. That's a long story. I'm dating (laughs) myself, but uh, it was a really wayward journey. I, you know, I went to boarding school for math and science for high school. So I always thought I was going to go into the science or the medical field, but we are immigrants. And so my dad was basically like, you should go into business, go into business school. So I did an undergraduate business degree, ended up falling in love with marketing. So it was a double major, double minor at the George Washington University in DC. And so I double majored in marketing and international business. And then I minored in art and Spanish literature. So yeah, (laughs) so I got my money's worth, that's for sure. And after that, we won an advertising competition. Uh, My class for senior year won an advertising competition in New York City, where one of the judges essentially offered me a job. And at that point, you know, I was debating between staying in D.C. or moving to New York City and a career in advertising kind of lands you in New York. (laughs) So I thought, hey, there's a job offer. There's the big city. Always wanted to try to live there and see what happens, you know, do a couple of years. And that's what happened. That's Toby, by the way. He's joining. (laughs) He's joining the podcast. Uh, My friend is in Gambia. And so we're we're pet sitting for her. That's so fun. I I started working at advertising agencies, started in account management, but quickly, very, very, very quickly learned that I wanted to be a creative and wanted to be a designer. So I got a shot early on, showed them my art minor portfolio, which was pathetic. (laughs) But the creative directors 
took pity on me, I guess, or they, they found me amusing. Um, so they tried me out and I was a junior art director and then moved up quickly and ended up finding out while I was leading creative on samsung.com that my friends from college, Liz and Erica, wanted to start a wedding planning business. So wedding planning is not my jam. (laughs) It is not my calling, but the idea of building a business with the two of them and also the idea of, of seeing what we could do on our own versus working at an ad agency was really appealing. So we founded Tinsel Experiential Design almost 10 years ago now. Wow. So we turned, we turned 10 years old in May and the rest is history. (laughs) That sounds awesome. And do you do, does Tinsel do any sort of wedding related events as well? Yeah. Up up until I would say five years ago, we were still mainly weddings. Mm -hmm. But then because of my network in advertising and also my business partner, Erica, was also in advertising, uh, we quickly pivoted to do more branded events and branded sort of corporate activations. And that it it was clear to us if we wanted to scale that weddings couldn't be the only revenue stream. Once we started to pivot, it really it, it snowballed from there. So we do now mostly corporate events. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's super interesting and also super time consuming. So how did you then pivot and and also start in Wild Pursuit? You know, I think everyone has to be a little crazy to found a business, <laughs> and I'm. I'm sp- you know, preaching to the choir, you're doing this project <laughs> and starting this on top of your job. So I guess my answer is that that's why I named it in Wild Pursuit, right? So my second company was founded three years ago, November 2016. That is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And I realized at that point that there is so much more that I could be doing to help, you know, to help make a change. And so I named it in Wild Pursuit because through the time of being an entrepreneur at Tinsel, I've met so many other founders that are working on things that really matter, that they really care about. Uh, For example, Amanda O'Donnell at Vote Run Lead, whom you've also met. uh, She is a big inspiration for me and a mentor and a friend and just someone I deeply, deeply admire. And so when she took her career in finance and went and studied finance for social impact that really helped trigger something in me because I always thought it was something I would do later on in life or, you know, after whatever. And in 2016, it occurred to me that the time is now. And so I started in Wild Pursuit because I do think every entrepreneur has this wild, nagging, uncontrollable feeling inside them that just makes them have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really inspired by those stories. And so with the second company I get to work with specifically purpose-led and underrepresented entrepreneurs really help them manifest what their missions are. I think that's amazing. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Amanda because she actually connected us and was on the podcast. Indeed. So thank you, Amanda. <laughs> So while founding two companies, like I can only imagine you've sat in many, many male-dominated boardrooms. Um, so what has that been like and, and what strategies do you use to sort of overcome the fact that maybe you're in the minority in that group? Yeah, advertising was really getting pushed into the deep end because as a student, you read a lot about 
the isms, the racism, the sexism, the ageism, all of that. And you think, oh, we're in modern times. That's not the case anymore. Boy, was I mistaken. Uh, (laughs) It's it's a changing industry and, you know, everything has to change and for, for the better, we all hope. Uh, but it was, it was quite a challenge, especially in my earlier years when you just don't know enough and you're not prepared enough to really handle what's coming at you. So I think being smart and thinking on your feet really helps and also not taking yourself so seriously, because if you do, I feel like you'll be debilitated by the, the seeming, you know, the failures that seem to bring you down, but it's, it's actually a learning experience. Uh, I was lucky enough that actually a lot of my creative directors early on were men that really fostered and helped mentor me. So they taught me a lot of the ropes. They taught me how to play the game. They really guided me as far as my creative work, but also, you know, how to navigate the tricky agency setting and so it was, it was really helpful to, for me to see how other people adapted and then to take that and use my own strengths to see what, what my own unique style was. I think really being self-aware and knowing how people see you and using that to your advantage is, is my advice. I think that's fantastic. And what do you think that men can be doing to be better allies in some of those situations? I think it's hard because just like anything, if, if, you, don't, if you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to be aware of it, right? So I think asking questions and being extra sensitive around certain topics or even just curious, frankly, you know, because I think there is a line where it's, it's like, okay, that's like too politically correct. You know, we can make (laughs) an off color joke here and there. It's fine. But I think the part that really makes me angry is when ideas are shared specifically in the creative environment, when ideas are shared, but then certain people aren't heard as much as other people. Right. So whether that be volume or frequency of how often you speak up. I I think there are cultural differences, not just in gender, but you know, how people were born and raised. I think men can be allies in that way to be able to amplify, you know, that's a word that's in everyone's vocabulary these days. And I think that's really important, but more than anything, I think everyone can be mentors to other people, you know? So I, again, I had the benefit of being taught and being coached by some really senior folks that were looking out for me for one reason or another. It it was just, I I felt really lucky, right? They took time out of their days to teach me and to really help me improve. And so that's something that I hope I do. And I hope I can do more as I get older. Yeah. So as a female CEO, how do you feel about the fact there aren't more women in leadership positions and What do you think is one of the bigger barriers to entry for women? I think about this a lot and I don't know the answer. You know, I I think it's a very complex situation that has many roots and there are a lot of avenues that contribute to it. For me personally, I didn't know that this was even an option, right? And that's also part of why I think it's so important and it helps me get up and do these businesses and work this hard because I know somewhere out there, a little girl's thinking I'm going to be CEO one day, uh, which is a really nice thought, you know, and, and that's what keeps me going, honestly. 
for me, it really is if you don't see what's available, if you don't know what's possible, it's hard for you to wrap your mind around that, right? And so, again, I, I was raised in a very analytical home. My dad was an architect. My mom was a nurse. So it was, it was a lot about the sciences and the maths. And I found this creative side of me that, quote unquote, was never going to make me any money, right? Starving artist was the, the path that, or, or a writer, you know, Spanish, what am I going to do with Spanish literature? Really? <laughs> um, you can only, you can only read Don Quixote so many times, but it, it is one of those things that I found this creative side of me. And then I found a way to channel it. And at first it was advertising. And then as I continued on, entrepreneurship is the most creative, most challenging thing I've ever had to do. I take it back. High school was really, really hard, but, <laughs> but um, I second that. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> but the mix of analytical and creative muscle that needs to be flexed for having a company is really, really unique. And I think as, as a youngster, you know, I didn't, I don't think that was possible. Or if it was, it would be something that I would do in my 50s, my 60s, you know, something that you do later in life after you've you've earned your stripes and after you've learned everything there is to know. And what I'm finding out is that you're never going to know everything. You figure it out as you go and, you know, you get lucky along the way. That's the best anyone can hope for. Yeah, but I love what you said about being a role model for little girls cuz I I do think that's so true. You know, I feel like we went from an age where it was like, I want to be an astronaut to now it's like, I want to be CEO. I want to be president. Exactly. And to be able to start seeing that, exactly. I think it's really, really powerful. And it's a great message to send. And hopefully, you know, connecting the two, what you said before about being an ally, if men can help sort of champion women and, you know, start asking the right questions and mentor them and really help us move into that space and, and make it more equal. I think that that will really change the future. Yeah. I think, uh, so having grown up in the Philippines, I, I was born during the Marcos, the Marcos era. So he was a dictator in the Philippines. And I, in 1986, we were actually stuck in Brunei because of the People's Power Revolution. And so my sister was born in Brunei because we were stuck there. We couldn't get back into the country. But this is my example of providing an example for younger children because the president that came from the People Power Revolution is a woman in the Philippines. So her name is Gori Aquino. And she was the first female president of the Philippines. She was a widow because her husband was the one that was going for office and was assassinated. As a young girl, my role model is this woman that, oh, wow, I could be president one day. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, she became president big because she's a, she's a widow and yeah. you know, it was her husband that was meant for the job and then she took it on. And so you, you sort of form these stories for yourself, but that's the type of stuff that I think is really hard to come by in the United States, right? Like, will there ever be a female president? We don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's, <laughs> TBD. it's TBD, but these are the times that we live in, you know, and I think that's really important to be able to Yes, to, to teach young girls that and to teach young boys that because it, it goes for every child, right? If mm -hmm. they know it's possible, then they're going to be more open-minded about it. Yeah. But the issue is also if they can't see it, right? Children are, they're so impressionable. They have to see it. They have to see an example. It's not just what you tell them. So if, if they can't see it, then it, it becomes that much harder mm -hmm. in order for it to happen. So. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. So you talked a little bit about your heritage, but I kind of want to hear a little more about what you 
feel like you do to sort of keep your heritage and your culture alive in America where it's, I don't know, sometimes seemingly very melting pot. I know you had told me in the past you went back to the Philippines recently on a trip to reconnect with the culture. So I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. A lot of people do a lot more than I do. <laughs> uh, and so for me, it's it's really personal. My family immigrated to the U.S. when I was 11. So if you imagine yourself just getting really awkward, <laughs> that's when my parents decided to move across the world. So that was an adventure and a half. So I had to quickly learn how to speak English without a thick accent because I, I learned that that was funny to people, uh, which is not the reaction you always want to elicit when you open your mouth. Probably um, not. Laughter, prob- probably not. Not always, right? But... For me these days, it's really important for me to speak Tagalog and continue to teach Tagalog. So uh, my nephew, for example, is turning three in December. So I speak Tagalog with him and he goes to a daycare that's Spanish speaking. So every time I ask him the question, how do you say it? And and he starts blurting out Spanish words. And I said, no, I wasn't going to say Spanish. I was going to say Tagalog. And uh, <laughs> So that's that's an adventure. And also my husband is Swedish, so he's teaching me Swedish. I'm teaching him Tagalog. I have an unfair advantage because Swedish sounds so much like English. <laughs> it's not fair, but I'll take I'll take the leg up. Um, and then it's a lot of eating and cooking at home. I eat a lot of Filipino food. And I cook a lot of Filipino food because it's it's a sense of comfort for me. What's your favorite dish? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. There is this spicy taro leaf dish with uh, coconut milk, really fermented coconut. Uh, It's called laing. It's actually from my dad's province. And I love it. That sounds incredible. Um, But I mean, there's a bunch. You can't just name one. That's the one I'm craving right now. But but the trip that you're talking about was an incredible honor. It's, It's called Philpro. And the ambassador of the Philippines chose 10 Filipino Americans in the country to, and sent us home to reconnect us with the motherland. Uh, so that was in 2014 and it was an absolutely incredible experience and I'm so grateful for it. And I met so many astounding people. I I'm in awe of them every single day. And that was also a big reason why I started my second company because it, it was one of those things that as proud I am, as I am about Tinsel and as I'm so happy with what we've done and what we're building and where we're headed. You know, I'm really excited about where we're headed. There is still a part of me that that needs to give back in a different way. And so for me and Wild Pursuit is the beginnings of that, knowing that it's going to take time, knowing that it's not perfect and it's not, you know, just overnight and then we're done. But starting the process now is is what gets me going. And so I just got... I recently got into a program at UPenn. It started last week and it is part of their executive education program. And it is the Venn diagram of where their design school meets their social policy school. So it's designed for social innovation. That's amazing. I know. And I said, <laughs> where was this when I was in school? This would have been my major. Um, double major in this. Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm really happy that it's available now and totally geeking out over all the reading. And so just seeing how I can design in Wild Pursuit to be better in that mission and what you know, how we can really escalate impact. So now you're, you have two companies and you're a student. 
Well, <laughs> it's all remote. Even and, more. Yeah, it's all still. remote. And I'm, I'm geeking out over the reading. It's reading I'll do anyway. So at least this way it's it's structured and someone's yeah. giving it to me. So that's <laughs> that's less time. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for that. And I'm really excited to take the learnings and apply it to Tinsel as well, you know, because Tinsel is always a work in progress. And seeing how that company has evolved over the last 10 years has been really inspiring and really surprising, right? Because I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> 10 years goes by really quickly. Yeah. You know, I thought I was going to stay in New York for two years tops. Yeah. That is not how the story has turned out. <laughs> um, if not New York, where would you want to go? Well, the dream is to be here six months out of the year and then somewhere else six months out of the year. And so I think... I found a home base in New York. Um, I I always felt a little bit like an outsider because we immigrated while I was, you know, a tween, Mm -hmm. right? And you've already defined who you are by then. And then you're just seeking validation after that point. But then I landed in New York and everyone's from somewhere, you know, as you said, it, it really is a melting pot. And so the old place, actually, the old apartment that I stayed at, I lived there for nine years and it, it felt like home. You know, I lived there with my sister. Uh, we made a life there. And so having recently moved away from that apartment, I realized how attached I am to New York City. Uh, that being said, every New Yorker knows it's a love-hate relationship, right? So, <laughs> 100%. Um, it's complicated. Uh, so the dream is that we're here home base six months out of the year and then traveling the other six months. And I've seen enough of the world to know that there's so much yet to see that I don't think I could commit to one other place and Mm -hmm. and have that be, you know, where we repeatedly go. That being said, I do love Sweden. Uh, My mother-in-law has a house in a, a small island in the Baltic Sea called Gotland, and it is countryside and farm and heaven. It is just one of the coolest places I've ever been on the planet. And so that place is a really special place in my heart. Uh, But my husband will be quick to remind me that I've only been during the summers. (laughs) Uh, We went once in the wintertime and it, it, it was it was like Chicago, so yeah. it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, once you start with Chicago, yeah, I feel like. exactly. I'm like, okay, hang on, are your eyeballs frozen? <laughs> the answer is yes, um, but they have beautiful fireplaces, and the trick is just to um, stay indoors. Yeah. Um, so outside of that, we'll see. We fell in love with Portugal. Uh, road trip through Spain, Costa Rica is always on the list because it's it's beautiful. Um, So yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And how do you make time for traveling and exploring those personal interests while also continuing to be an executive and founder for two companies? Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting the way that entrepreneurship is glorified in this sort of workaholic, like grind hustle culture, right? And that's you know, when you see the WeWork slogans, it's like hustle, work harder, you know, things like that. And I'm a firm believer, and maybe this is the creative in me, I'm a firm believer that you're so much more productive and you're so much more effective and efficient if you give your body and your mind time to rest. And so I actually get a lot of my ideas, not just creative ideas, but also business ideas when I'm away. And I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So I I actually think... It's a leader's duty to be able to look up and out and not just stick your head in the sand like an ostrich uh, because you could, you know, right? You could get 
you could get swept up in the day-to-day very easily. And I do, you know, this is, this is all a work in progress, but I, I think it's really important to be able to travel and take a beat. And I think that type of perspective too, of, of seeing how other people do things and how, how other cultures do things and how other companies work, you know, those are the things that you learn only if you see it with your own eyes, right? I, of course you can read, but there's, there's nothing quite like, quite like going out and seeing it for yourself. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important to me. It's, it's one and the same. It's not taking time out of work to me. It's, it's part of what makes you a better leader. I think that's beautiful. And I couldn't agree more. I used to think that vacation meant, you know, lying on a beach and yeah. doing that for a week. And, and you could, you could, and yeah. it's great, but it's, it's true that when you're really actively like emerging, emerging yourself and other cultures and really yeah. eating different foods and learning the language, learning, yeah. you know, why, why do they say things like that? Why do they do that? Why do, why is that a, a specific gesture? You know, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I love, I love studying that stuff. And I think Spanish literature got me that early taste of that. And then I, I think I've just been hooked ever since. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. And yeah. I, I think it really does sort of spark that creative side. So I think that's awesome. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about the process of starting a company. And I'm curious, like what advice you have for other women and men who are interested in, in doing that? How to start a company. <laughs> I always say to start with a why, because that why is going to keep you going through the hard parts and the hard parts will come. So before you even start, I think you need to sit down and really have an honest conversation with yourself about your own motivations. Are you in it to make money? If you are, that's going to take a really long time. So chances of you getting there, if that's your primary motivation, are pretty slim because you're going to go through some hard stuff. And if your why is, I want to be rich, you can, you can be rich doing other things and working for somebody else at a very high salary. You know, <laughs> um, There are other ways to make money. But if you sit down and the answer is because it really matters to me or the answer is because I can make this type of in, an impact or the answer is because I want to build a company that is inclusive and I want to build a company where people are respected as human beings and not just, you know, numbers on a timesheet, then, then you have something really going on. So I would say start with the why and then really flesh out what your plan is and learn to be patient because I am the most impatient person on the planet and everything has taken so much longer <laughs> than I want it to. And it's maddening, but you know, that's, that's just part of the process. And so that, that would be my primary advice. Start with a why and then learn patience, number one. And then the third part is have enough self-awareness to know what you're really good at and stick to that. And then find other people that are better at the things that you're not good at. Because if you try to muscle your way through and try to be the best at everything, that's going to take even longer, right? Um, starting a company is a team sport. And so if you surround yourself with the people that complement what your skills are and align with your why, that's also super important. And then I think you have a better chance of making it in the long run. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I'm sure there are so many people out there that their why really is, like you said, to make money. Sure. And yeah. 
it's a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> yeah. And it'll, it'll come, you know, and obviously the goal of any business is, I mean, t- to not lose money, yeah. right? At the, at the yeah, very right? least, at the very least. And so obviously that's one motivating factor, but it, it can't be the only one because it's going to, it's going to take too long and it's going to be too hard and you're going to question yourself too much. And then, you know, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to talk to you a little bit about networking and its value. You know, Amanda connected us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was networking at its finest. But how has it played a role in your career? And what advice do you have for anyone looking to expand their network? Sure. I, I've been really lucky. I, I always tell people I'm the luckiest person they'll ever meet. <laughs> and, you know, who, who lands, number one, who lands a gig in advertising? Number two, who switches into the creative department? because their creative directors were so generous, you know, (laughs) and willing to give them a chance with no design portfolio degree or anything. Like, it's just, the odds are just crazy for me. But I think um, networking has, it's it's like a bad word, because Mm -hmm. people always think it's this opportunistic act. Whereas to me, networking is just finding like-minded people that you want to be friends with and friends help other friends, you know? So I think that's my main, that's always been my main focus. And that's also why I love what I do because I get to meet other people that deeply care about what they do and are so motivated by it. And, you know, you just see the sparkle in their eyes. So you you talk with them and you you get high just by being next to them, which I'm, I'm again, I'm preaching to the choir. You have this, <laughs> this awesome podcast going. And so and I'm high listening exactly. to you talk. I was so. Like, so I'm seeing your face and something <laughs> is resonating. Um, but to me, this is exactly what networking is, right? It's just having a conversation and connecting with another human being. And that's also why I love Tinsel because experiential was always the black sheep of the marketing portfolio, especially when I came into the industry, right? It was all above the line. And then digital was gaining its foothold and digital was the wild west. So people were pouring money into digital. They were like, oh my God, we need to pay all the dollars for banner (laughs) ads. Like, What is even the point? But and experiential was always lagging behind. It's like, oh, okay, if we have a few dollars left over, we'll do it for gorilla or stunt or we'll throw an event. And now with the ubiquity of social media, experiential has really felt a resurgence, you know? So a lot of my old friends from agency, they're like, oh, experiential. Wow. It's, it's been so hot. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for 10 years and there are companies that have been doing it for way longer, you know? So it's, it's been around, but what I love about it is this in-person connection because you can't substitute it for anything. Right. And that's why that's why experiential has gone the way it's gone and how people are talking about all of these authentic brand experiences because engaging at the end of the day, it's human to human, right? A brand is an artificial entity that was created. And yes, we as human beings can place our emotions in that. And that's the whole, that's the whole discipline of branding, which is what I do. But there is this human-to-human contact that is so essential to every everything that we do. It's how we're biologically wired. And that's what I think networking is. And I think a lot of people think it's like, oh, I'll link in with them or I'll be friends on Facebook or, you know, I'll I'll see what what 
jobs they have going on, but that's not it, right? It's connecting with someone on a deeper level so that you want to learn more about them and, you know, collaborate on something. And then through time, again, patience is key, but through time, you'll either find something that you can help them out with or vice versa, right? And that, that to me is what networking is. So it's not going to an event with your blazer on and like handing out business cards. I mean, that's one way of doing it. But if you're just making it rain business cards and no one knows who you are, it it defeats the purpose. It's interesting. You know, you touched on sort of how social media has opened that door. And I think social media in a lot of ways gets a lot of shade for lacking that human to human connection. But I actually think it it opens the door for so much human to human connection. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and same with digital, right? Yeah. Digital gets a lot of slack. Uh, <laughs> digital gets a lot of slack because quote unquote, we don't socialize anymore. We don't talk to each other face to face anymore. And I don't think that's true. You know, I've been able to keep in touch with my parents because of the technology now, and it's been amazing. And they live in San Francisco and their grandson is here and they can FaceTime and things like that. So again, it's not a substitute for them physically being here and living here, but it helps when you're, you know, going across long distances. So I think just like everything else, it's in moderation is, is the key, but I, I really do think social media has opened that door if it's used well right? There's always a dark side of social media that we can talk about and people making things seem like one thing when it isn't actually that, which happens a lot in business. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, super easy. And look at, look at how great this is now. All you have to do is work hard. It's like, you know, one thing you have to do is work hard. Yeah. And then you have to add like a lot of luck <laughs> and a, a lot of creativity and a lot of gutsy decisions, basically. So it's not a, as clear cut as social media mm-hmm. will lead you to believe. Yeah. My last question for you, and this is my favorite question to ask on the podcast, because it's always nice to encourage women to brag about themselves because it, you know, studies say we don't do that enough. So what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Oh, this is hard. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think um, I think there's so much I need to do in order to be proud of saying that. You know, I think mm-hmm. I guess thus far one of my I feel like one of my greatest accomplishments is my relationship with my baby sister, um, who's not a baby at all. <laughs> she has a baby um, <laughs> and is pregnant, um, but. I'm just really happy at how close we've become. And if I look back on my life and put myself in, you know, my seven-year-old shoes, I would have never, ever dreamed that I would live in New York, work in New York. You know, it's, I've just come so far from where I was that everything's wide open, you know? So I feel like I'm just really happy that my sister and I are really close despite it all. And and moving. And then there are only two of us. Right. And so we found our way in the same city. You know, I'm there hanging out with her and her kid every Friday, which is just my favorite time of the week. But I think as far as like greatest accomplishments go, I feel like I'm just getting started, you know? So I I don't count any of it as an accomplishment quite yet. I feel like it's the start of accomplishing 
But yeah, I just really love living so close to my sister and being close with her. I think that's a really awesome answer. <laughs> and I'm excited to see all the amazing things you continue to do. Yeah, I I am too. I am I am tired, but I, <laughs> I I'm empowered and I'm I'm really excited. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you so much for Thank taking you. The time today. For more information about Boss Ladies, go to www.bossladiespodcast.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at Boss Ladies Podcast. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies. Boss Ladies.